Good morning. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 31. The title of my message is Succeeding. Everybody likes that word, don't they? There's a lot of books on that, right? Succeeding. Oh, great. He's going to give us an awesome message about being successful. Succeeding at failure. Okay, there's not a whole lot of books on failure. Succeeding at failure. It's title of my message. Now I want you to notice there are um, certain subjects in this Luke chapter 22 passage. And today the subject that I want to focus on is the person of Peter. And this is a period of time that I actually preached last time I was up here. Preached about the um, period of time from... Um, Jesus in the upper room discourse with his disciples and then moving into uh, from the upper room, he gave his the last supper, his last words to the disciples, and then he moved uh, toward the Garden of Gethsemane and then he was arrested there and then he was put on trial. And I don't know why this is my second message in a row in that passage. And it's not that time of the year where I normally am preaching from those passages. Normally that's in the spring, but the Lord's led me to these. Um, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, that is Peter, who Jesus renamed Peter, but his name was Simon. It says, Simon, Simon, behold. It says, look, Satan has demanded to have you. How many have ever felt that way? Satan's demanded to have you, right? That's what it says. That he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Okay, notice he did not say, I'm praying that you won't fail, because we're getting ready to see the failure of Peter. Extreme failure. The worst failure of his life um, of the person named Peter, okay? But he's saying, I'm praying that your faith will not fail. How many know that that is the goal? That your faith will not fail, but as far as us failing, it happens. How many know that it happens? You say, oh no, it doesn't happen to me. I'm, I don't ever fail. That's what this message is about. Failure. And it says, I'm praying that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, which means you're going to fail, but when you turn back from your failure, strengthen your brothers, Peter. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Do you hear the spirit of Peter? And Peter is somebody that when he says something, he does it. I mean, he's very impulsive and he's very strong-willed and he's one that people really trust his opinion. He's a great leader and he's one that values his word. When Peter says something, it hurts him deeply when he doesn't do it. How many know that? How many are like that a little bit? Man, when I don't do what I say I'm going to do, man, it makes me so frustrated. And Peter is that person to the, to the fullest. And says, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison and to death for you. You understand what he's saying here? 
It doesn't matter where you go. I love you so much. I'll follow you to prison and I'll follow you to death. And Jesus stops him right there and he says, I tell you the truth, Peter. The rooster will not crow this day until you have denied me three times that you even know me. What a rebuke. You imagine me and the guy standing up saying, I, and then Peter liked to hit his chest a little bit. In fact, when you see the things he's been saying up until this point, you'll realize I'm, what I'm saying is the truth. They may deny you, Lord, but I will go to prison for you and I will go to death for you. Jesus says, stop right there. In front of all of them. He said, before the rooster crows. Now, when does the rooster crow? Usually in the morning. Now, there was an unusual rooster crow here because the rooster did it twice. But he said, before it crows by dawn, you're going to deny me three times. Ouch. Not once. I'll go to death in prison for you. Not one time are you going to say you don't know me. That's pretty bold when it's you're saying... Not only is he failing at dying and going to prison for Christ, he's going to say, I don't even know you. And it's going to be a little girl that's asking him. Okay? Deny him once that I know him. Deny him twice that I even know him. And a third time, I don't even know him. And then the rooster crows. Jesus told Peter, the rooster will crow this day until you deny me three times that you even know me. Skip down to verse 47. It says, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, will you betray me? Will you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw What would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike them with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Do you notice the other ones are saying, should we stop them from arresting Jesus? And one of them jumped up, already had his sword in hand, defending Jesus. And who was it? Peter. He struck the man and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, now now does he sound like a man that is ready to go to prison and die for Christ? You better believe it. He's living up to his word. Not going to be any failure in this guy, right? It said, but Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and the elders who have come out against him, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you, with I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is an this is your hour, the hour of darkness. Then they seized him, led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. Do you see everybody else scattered and who's still following? Peter, but at a distance. He's watching everything that's happening. All right. Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together. Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl 
seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, the man, this man also was with him, meaning Jesus, but he denied it. He said, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And listen to this. And immediately when he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned. You got to see this. Right when the rooster crows, the Lord turns and looks at Peter. Peter then remembered the saying of the Lord that said, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now look at what's going on when he walks out. Now the men were holding Jesus in custody. They were mocking him. They were beating him. They were blindfolding him and keep asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him and they were blaspheming him. You see the scene? He looks into the eyes of Jesus while he's been beating, being beaten, mocked, spit upon, brutally being treated in the courtyard. And, and he walks off crying bitterly. A major failure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us today, Lord. Lord, help us hear from you, Lord. Take me out of the way. An imperfect messenger, Lord God, but help me speak your words that are perfect. And uh, help us be hearers, Lord, of your word. In your name we pray and everybody said, Amen. Wow. Succeeding at failure. That's an oxymoron, right? What's an oxymoron mean? It means two completely opposite terms put together. Success, which we all love. How many love success? Oh yeah, man, I'm a winner. I'm successful. I'm always going to win. I'm never going to fail. And that is the picture of a person we know as Peter. In fact, the word that immediately comes to your mind is a word. How many have ever heard the word hubris? The word simply defined is extreme confidence in oneself. Peter epitomized that. And he had extreme confidence that I'm not going to fail. How many have ever had that extreme confidence? I promise you, hear me. I will not fail. But the Bible says all, A-L-L, fascinating word. Do you know what it means in the Greek? Wow, you guys are scholars. I thought I was going to throw one on you there. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, which means we're all failures. We're all failures. And you said, oh, not me. And that's what Peter would yell. Not me. Not me, I'm going to not fail. But here we are. We fail. We have broken relationships, broken promises, failures, all of us. We're the island of misfit toys. We're the group of people that are all broken. And we've got all these parts of our lives that are broken. Amen. How many know what I'm talking about? 
And you say, well, man, I've tried to be so perfect, but we still break things. And nobody likes a crash. Nobody likes a plane crash, right? Isn't that an awful thing, a plane crash? Who would like a plane crash? Who would like an automobile accident? Nobody likes a crash. But can you think of a time in your life when everything just crashed? Broken. Crashed. All is lost. Everything is broken. But man, can you understand today the value of a crash? You know that almost there's an untold amount of millions of lives that have been saved from accidents. In fact, they go in in an autom- they go into a plane accident and they study the wreckage. How many know that? They take lots of pictures. They study every part of the mechanical processes in a plane. And how many know there have been little things like how does a propeller wipe off moisture? How does a propeller handle a bird? How does a uh, fuselage handle pressure? How many know that you can look at an airplane crash and every bit of information they have to protect people and save lives is based on their investigation of the failure? How many know that? So they study the failure and whatever went wrong, they have to find it. And if they can find out what went wrong, they can save countless lives by fixing what went wrong. That's why they recall parts. That's why they do the same thing in automobiles. They recall parts that fail. They look at automobile accidents and they say, oh my goodness, these Firestone tires. Man, they're unraveling. And they fix them. And how many people's lives are saved because they're riding on Firestone tires that have been fixed? And can I tell you something today? Our failures are the keys to our success. They're not opposites. They're not either failure or success. I'm a failure or I'm a success. It's how well can you deal with failure in order to finally succeed? Failure is the road to success. So it just depends how good are we at failure. Because failure will crush you. It'll bring emotions. In fact, uh, you'll either have emotions that I've disappointed myself, I failed myself, or you have the emotions that I've disappointed other people. People that I love usually. And how many have been there? And how we deal with failure is the determining factor on how much we succeed at anything. It's just plain and you say, well, no, every time I do it, the first time I, I win. I, I succeed the first time, every time. And how many know that's a fallacy? That never happens. There's never a period of time somebody is really good at something the first time they do it. In fact, there was a guy, he was a Princeton, um, a Princeton professor and he decided to write a memoir. And the memoir was, documenting his resume and his resume was completely his failures. He said, because every time they read a memoir, they list their successes. And he said, my successes precede me. 
Everybody knows what I've done well. It's in front of me. And most people, you know what they've done well. And they say, man, he's a success. He's a total success. Everything he does, he wins. Everything he does, he succeeds. Everything he's done, just look at that list of accomplishments. How many know it precedes you? He did this, he did that, he did this. And man, we love to put somebody on the platform and we say, hey man, look what they've done. They've done this and they've done that and they've done this and all this list of accomplishments. And this particular professor said, that's a mistake. He said, I want to list all my failures. So he began to post, hey, here's where I failed. And here's what I did. And here's where I failed. And here's what I did. And here's my whole list, my whole resume of failures and how I responded. And how many know that is more important? In fact, how many uh, have went to school and you have all these important subjects? In fact, we've got our history class. Man, that is so important to understand your history so you don't repeat the mistakes and understand science so you can apply science and, and empirically understand how things work and do experiments and, and, you know, cause and effect and trial and error and just do all the experiments. And then you've got math and math helps you apply, you know, things around you and solve problems. How many of you love those math story problems? Solving those problems. But you know what? We never have a course on how do I do a failure. But it might be a more important course than those other ones. Like, hey, we're just going to study how am I going to deal with failure in my life? How am I going to examine the crash site and make sure that whatever failed doesn't fail again? Now, how many know sometimes we're the same plane crash over and over? It's like Groundhog Day. Right? It's like, wake up, hey, plane crash. Then you go through your day, you wake up the next day, hey, plane crash. Next day you wake up, hey, plane crash. And nobody ever really looks to see what failed. What mechanism failed to cause me to crash? And you say, well, that's good because my neighbor crashes every day. I see it every day and he never does anything about it. But how about us? How about our many crashes and our many burnings and our many issues that we're not noticing every day? Peter here is a major failure. And I think by looking at what Christ did with Peter and looking at Peter's reaction will help us when we fail. Peter, the last part of the scene that we've seen with Peter was he's looking into the eyes of Jesus for the last time. Remember the famous last words or the famous last meeting and you're like, man, the last time I seen that person before they died, this is what it was like. And with Jesus, he actually prophesied what Peter was going to do right before he died. How cool is that? Uh, Peter, it's been asked of me that you would be sifted like wheat and somebody has demanded for your life. But I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail and after you're restored, will you encourage your brothers? Boy, that's pretty good last words. 
When you fail, what's going to happen when he fails? He's going to be so humbled by his overconfidence. He's going to say, hey, take that humility and now begin to serve the other ones. And so the famous last scene that they have is, can you imagine Jesus being mocked, punched, beaten, spit on, just absolutely being blasphemed, you know, and mocking? And the rooster crows and you look over and you make eye contact. And then you leave weeping bitterly. Now, Peter was a pretty tough guy. In fact, if you read the stories of his occupation as a fisherman, they're some of the toughest men. In fact, the most dangerous uh, occupation in the world, two most dangerous, uh, logging and fishing, commercial fishing, the two most dangerous occupations in the world. And he was a rough, tough fisherman, and he leaves weeping bitterly. Now, you can cry, all right, and you can just, man... That really tore me up that Jesus looked at me. But he wasn't doing that. He was weeping bitterly. I mean, he probably was heaving a little bit. He runs out of there, and get this, there's no record of Peter that whole weekend. Jesus is getting beaten in the courtyard. He gets taken up to the pilot. He, he goes through the whole unfair trial overnight. He's convicted, an innocent man. He's mutilated, beaten, uh, beaten with um, a whip. In fact, uh, that whip tore his skin off of his body and was beaten so badly you couldn't even recognize him anymore. He was put on a cross. He died. Still, Peter has just disappeared. Nobody has seen him. In fact, the other disciples are all together, and Peter's nowhere to be found. The reason I know that is it says in Mark 16, 7, when the women, women arrived at the tomb early on Sunday morning, an angel announced the good news and instructed them, go tell the disciples and Peter. Now, why does it say and Peter? Because Peter wasn't with them. Peter disappeared. Do you realize that? Go tell the disciples and Peter. I mean, go tell the disciples, they're all together as this weekend unfolds. But Peter's somewhere else. So let me ask you, when you fail, are you like him? Do you isolate? Do you... What's the last thing you want to do when you fail? Be around people you love. Why do you not want to be around people you love? Because people you love sometimes will comfort you. They'll make you feel good. And when you failed, what's the last thing you want? I don't want to feel good about myself. He was sitting in what we call a solitary confinement prison of isolation. How many have ever put yourself there? You go away, you lock yourself in, you turn the key... You're in solitary confinement and you say to yourself, I don't want anybody to make me feel better because he's weeping bitterly all weekend long. He doesn't want anybody to make him feel better. He's asking all the questions that we ask. Why? And here's one of the first ones you ask. 
If you were at fault, why was I so stupid? Don't you think he was asking that? Because look at some of the things that he did. In the upper room, they're in the upper room, all the disciples are together, right? Jesus says, before I die, I have to wash all of your feet. And like a servant, he bent down to wash everybody's feet. Everybody was okay with it, except one. I want you to see the pride that he had and the arrogance that he had and the overconfidence that he had. He goes, these other ones need washing, but not me. And then that erupted a little bit later on who is the greatest in the kingdom. Who's better than the other ones? Me? No, 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 I'm better. I'm going to be at the right hand of him. No, 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 I'll be at the right hand of him. All of them are arguing on who's the greatest and Peter is greater than all of them because he doesn't even need to be washed and the other ones do. Right? Then Jesus says, one here will betray me. And guess who jumps up? John is like, well, which one is it, Lord? Peter's like, it's definitely not me. And he probably stood there just like this in the light, you know. Can you see it? And we're like that spiritually. We think we're not going to fail. But guess what? All of us are. We all sin and came short. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when and how many times and how we react. And Peter's saying, no, not me. Because I'll be arrested and I'll die for you. I'll go to prison and I'll die with you. Don't you think that when he's in his isolation, he's thinking of all these lines? He's like, how could I be so dumb? How could I be so arrogant? How could I think I'm not going to fail? And here's the biggest failure of them all. They're all together still and he's isolated, weeping bitterly. He's the one that went the farthest to try to follow him. Nobody else followed at a distance. Nobody else stood in the courtyard and watched him be beaten. Nobody was there but him. But now look at him. They're all together and he's isolated and he's beaten himself up over his failures. Sometimes the failure is not you. Sometimes the failure is other people. And you lock yourself in the same prison and you say, man, how could they do that to me? How many have ever been in that one of disappointment? How could they do that to me? How could this happen? How, why am I here? How did this happen? And how many know that's the same failure because you're in some type of relationship with that person? And so it wouldn't hurt unless you were together in that relationship. You know, maybe it's a church relationship, maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a child-parent relationship, maybe it's a school, you know, teacher-student relationship. Whatever it is, relationships hurt, and we put ourselves in the same place of failure. Then you're up at the house of Caiaphas, and he's rejecting Christ. He disappears. But here's what's amazing. How does Jesus respond When we have failed. Number one, he's calling for Peter by name. He said, go get the 11 and go get him. Go get him. Peter was very, very loyal. Man, he was loyal. He was the first one that recognized he was the son of God. 
Who do they say that I am? This is the end of Jesus' ministry. He's up at the northern part of Israel and he's heading toward Jerusalem to die. And they say, who do they say that I am? And they were like, well, some say you're John, some say you're this, some say you're that. And John, or Peter says, you're the son of God. You are the lamb. You, I know who you are. And he's the first one that recognized that. He's always the first one to jump up. And you notice when Jesus is walking on the water, all the other ones stayed in the boat. And who was the one that jumped up? Peter, bid me to walk with you, Lord. And so Jesus calls him by name in his failure. And you need to hear that. Because in your failure, guess what God is doing for you? He doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to understand, I knew you would fail. You say, are you sure he knew that? Yeah, he prophesied it. He said, when you fail... Encourage your brothers after you're restored. He knew you would fail. He knew you would fail so much that he died for you. And that's why he died, because all failure is, is sin. Whatever the failure was, wherever it happened, the malfunction was some type of sin somewhere. And that's why he made Forgiveness of sins. That's why he made confession. That's why he made a place to put our failures so we could examine the wreckage and we could move forward and hopefully not have the same plane crash. You say, well, good, man, I'm going to get it right and I'm never going to fail again. And see, this is what he's trying to tell us. That it's not a matter of if you'll fail again, it's just how many times And how serious and how severe and how will you react? How successful are you at failure? Because when we learn that the only remedy for our failures in this world is to take it to Christ and His Word and understand where the malfunction is and move forward and get it right, then we're going to struggle mightily in life. Because we're just going to keep failing. You say, well, Chad, I wish it was good news. But we are going to have failures our entire life until we get a glorified body. And then there'll be no more failures. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pains, no more hurts, no more things that we're trying to fight every day. But until then, how many know we're going to have a series of failures that we're always going to have to remedy and examine wreckage because we're a messed up wreck. And God is here to help us through our failures. So our faith will not fail. Hallelujah. So the second thing he does, somewhere along the way, he appears to Peter before he appears to the twelve, or the eleven. The reason I know that because there are two places. Luke 24, 34 says, It is true the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then in 1 Corinthians 15, 4 and 5, it says he was raised on the third day, according to scriptures, and appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Isn't that something? He personally finds him. Not only does he tell the angel messenger at the tomb, go find the eleven and find Peter. Jesus shows up in his failure in solitary confinement. Isn't that amazing? You say, well, look at me, man. Woe is me. I'm in this prison and I don't want to get out. I don't want anybody to comfort me. I don't want anybody to love me. I don't deserve it. 
I'm nothing. I'm beaten down. I'm a loser. Been a loser. How many of you ever had that dialogue? I'm a loser. I've been a loser my whole life. Okay. Well, that's lonely. That's why I'm the only one in here. Man, what a loser I am. How many of you have ever had that dialogue? Man, I'm a loser. I'm the biggest loser ever. And Satan is right there. And he's saying, you messed up again. You messed up so big, you'll never recover. There's no way you can get out of this. And I don't know about you, but there's not a bigger failure than telling God you'll be there for him and look in his eyes while they're spitting on him. Boy, that's a big failure. And abandoning him in his most biggest hour of need while everybody else is together. So here he is in solitary confinement, and Jesus is calling for him. Tell them to find Peter and everybody else. Find the failure for me and everybody else. Let me just put it in terms we understand. So he's telling you in your failure, go find him. Wherever he's at. Remember, Peter didn't just say he didn't know him. He actually cursed. His faith was in serious crisis. He cursed and said, I don't even know him. Bitterly left. Bitterly in a solitary confinement. And Jesus saying, go find my little loser. Go find my little failure. And that's what, that's what we are. You say, well, man, I'm so good and I'm so wonderful and I'm so confident in myself. And here's the most confident man maybe in the Bible and he's just crushed. I mean, there's nothing left to him. He's crushed to rubble. And Jesus said, well, when you're restored, be an encourager to the rest of them. And so Jesus goes and sees him in solitary confinement. How many think that's awesome? Man, I'm down, I'm beaten up, I'm depressed because Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. And so he finds Peter and he has some type of, I don't even know what was said. The Bible doesn't record what was said in that conversation. It just says he appeared to Peter. And Peter was convinced he's alive, ran back to everybody else and told him because they hadn't seen him yet. I mean, oh, the eleven hadn't seen him yet. The two women had seen him, then he went to Peter, and then he went to the eleven. And now Peter's saying, hey, I've seen him. And they're like, what What in the world? We tried to encourage Peter, and he just didn't listen to us, and he ran off. And, and you know, I may have ever taken your ball and just ran home. It's like, not only am I leaving this kickball game, but I'm taking my ball with me. And no, no, please stay, please stay. No, no, I'm not staying. I'm not, you're not even going to have my ball anymore. Right? And when you get to that stage... And I bet nobody in here has ever been on that stage where you just leave or, you know, you're playing the game of Scrabble or Risk and the thing is all over the room and nobody's ever done that. And you're not only am I playing, not playing this game, you're going to pick it up off the floor. And like I said, nobody's ever done that. Nobody's ever messed up to that level. So God has placed me here as a minister to tell you what it's like. And you messed up that bad. And you failed that bad that you bitterly leave like Peter did. And nobody can talk you out of it. Now all of a sudden, Peter's back. And he's excited because he had a visitation with Jesus in a solitary confinement. And realized it's okay. I knew you were going to fail. It feels good when you know Jesus knows you're going to fail. And Jesus knows you're a sinner. And Jesus knows that salvation by His grace is the only way because we're not. 
good enough. And if we were good enough, we wouldn't be in solitary confinement because we can't think of an answer. We're sitting there in the dark saying, why, 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 why did I do it? Why am I so stupid? Why did I mess up? Why, what do I do to fix it? And and can I tell you something? There's no way to fix it. You've already messed up too bad. Until Jesus comes in and says, I knew you'd mess up. I knew you would fail. I knew you wouldn't have what it took. I knew you would come short of my glory. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. And Peter has the ability to come back after that. And see, this is what Jesus Christ does. You acknowledge that I am a sinner and I messed up again. And his grace is covering me. And he says, when you're restored from the failure, comfort everybody. Because you got forgiveness. Now comfort them with the comfort that you received. Hallelujah. So then the next scene... We go to John chapter 21, and they're out fishing. So Peter sees him, the leaven sees him, lots of different people see him, and he says, hey, go to Galilee and wait for me there. I want to talk to you guys again. Jesus is just making his rounds, right? So in John 21, they're at the Sea of Galilee. Six of them are fishing, right? They fish all night. They're not catching anything. All right, Jesus always seems to come when they're not catching anything. Because this happened early in the book when he first called them, they weren't catching anything. He says, hey, throw your net down there and they can't pull, they can't pull the nets up. There's so many, they need two boats to pull it in. And Peter trembles, falls to the ground and, and realizes that a holy God is in his presence because of the miracle of that catch, which he had never seen anything like that before. He had been fishing Sea of Galilee his whole life. Well, here, after Jesus dies and is resurrected, makes visitations to different people, he says, hey, go to Galilee, I'm going to see you there. John 21, they're on the water, they're fishing, they're not catching anything. And a man on the bank who'd been sitting there the whole time over a fire cooking fish, watched him all night long, catch nothing. And then he yells out there and he goes, hey, guys catching anything? How many have ever been fishing? So it's somebody, hey, you catching anything? What they really want to know is if you're catching stuff where you're at, I'm going to jump right beside you and I'm going to fish right where you're at. So my answer is always, no, I'm not catching anything. Go away over there. Are you catching anything? Okay, let me come over there. But they said, no, we're not catching anything. Jesus said, well, throw your net on the other side. And they actually numbered, I think they caught like 158 fish, I think. They actually give them the number, get, catch so much fish. And then immediately, I think it's John says, hey, that's our Lord. Only, only one person does that. And John recognizes that's our Lord. And when Peter hears that, they all stay in the boat. Peter jumps into the water and swims all the way to the shore. And I think it says he, they were a hundred yards away. You see what kind of attitude Peter has? Man, he's just... Got such a passion for God. And he's so tore up and so humbled over what happened. But he sees him and he jumps in the water and he runs to him. So Jesus calls for him. Jesus meets him in solitary confinement. Now Jesus shows up and Peter can't swim fast enough to get to him. While everybody else is slowly rolling to shore, he's swimming because he wants to see him. And then it says, Jesus... 
They all came and he said, bring your fish with you. And Jesus was already cooking fish. So when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Isn't that an interesting question? You want to see a changed person after failure? Do you love me more than these? That's a loaded question. Because what was he arguing about before he died? These other ones need wash, but I don't. I'm the one who will not turn my back on you. We're all arguing who's the greatest in the kingdom. Well, guess what? All the uh, pride and hubris and overconfidence and all of the I'm going to win and never fail is gone. He's crushed. And so Jesus says, hey, do you love me more than these other ones? Don't take the bait, Peter. (laughs) You know, if you take the bait there, you might go through another failure. Peter doesn't answer the question, yes, I love you more than the other ones. He says, you know that I love you. See the humility there? He could have said, yeah, I love you more than the other ones. Of course. What kind of question is that? Obviously. Come on. No brainer, Lord. Hit Jesus on the head. Hey, come on. Are you thinking? That was Peter before, right? Now he's saying, yeah, you know I love you, Lord. I'm going to answer that question. <laughs> okay. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And some people wonder and speculate why ask him three times. And, you know, there it mentions that Jesus made a charcoal fire. And, you know, there's only one other place in the, in the New Testament, in the Greek, where a charcoal fire is made and they're sitting around it. You know where that's at? The fire that Peter was sitting around in Caiaphas' courtyard. How many times did he deny Christ? Three times. How many times did he ask him, do you love me? Three times. Around the same charcoal fire, around all of the disciples, and he's just asking him, do you love me? And you know, you would expect Jesus, what if it were you? What if like, hey, you know, my last moments of life, my best friend abandons me. And right when I'm getting beaten, I'm going to make eye contact with him. Just so you know, you betrayed me, I died, but aha! I came back to life. And I'm going to find that little rascal that turned his back on me in my hour of need, promised he'd be with me and he wasn't, and failed me and is a big failure, and said, go find him. Go find him. (laughs) Immediately at the tomb, go find him. And then uh, I have a visit with him. I don't know what he said to him on that visit. Maybe he just showed that he was alive. I don't know. But then he finally says, okay, Peter, let's have a little talk. And so he pulls him aside and starts having a conversation with him. And he doesn't say, how could you do that to me, Peter? How could you fail me like that? How could you be such a failure? 
How could you be so weak in that hour? I'm going to need you to be strong, Peter. I'm going to need you to do this. I'm going to need you to do that. No, he doesn't do that. He just says, do you love me? More than the other ones? Peter gives the right answer. Lord, you know I love you. Not answer, not touching that other part of it. You know, then he asks him again, do you love me? Yeah, sure, I love you. You know I love you. And then the third time he asks him, he's, he's actually hurt. It hurts him that he says it. He says, do you love me? He says, yes. And he said, well, if you love me, take care of my sheep. Do you understand the changes in Peter here? And so I want you to begin to think about our lives and the changes God wants us to make. Because Christ, right after he says this around the fire, in John chapter 21, Jesus begins to predict the death of Peter. In fact, he says, do you love me? He says, yes. Do you love me? Yes. Love me. And he says, it hurt him. And then he says, Peter. And he begins to tell him how he's going to die. This is how much Peter has changed. Remember what Peter's promise was? I will be arrested. I'll go to prison and I will die for you. Failure is just this. You have a performance standard that you didn't meet. Meaning I said I was going to do something. I had an idea of what I wanted to do. Somebody gave me an idea. Somebody put that standard on me. Whatever that standard is, you didn't meet it. Whether it's your own or somebody else's or the Bible standard. And Peter had that standard that he placed upon himself. He said, I will go to prison and I will die for you. And no matter what Peter could do in his own flesh, he couldn't fulfill it. He failed. In fact, when it got just a little bit rough and he was in that imposing place at Caiaphas' house where Jesus was arrested, he failed. How many know he failed? He just couldn't do it. He just, he went farther than everybody else, but he just couldn't do it. He couldn't meet the standard. And the Bible says that we cannot meet the standard, but through Christ, the Bible says we can meet the standard. So he comes back after his resurrection. Peter's a changed man. Peter sees him alive. He joins him in solitary confinement in his failure. He, he goes to meet Peter when he doesn't go and meet the other ones. Peter has a conversation with him, sees that he's alive. Peter runs to go see him. Jesus pulls him aside and he says, now you're going to die. And Peter still has a little bit in him. And he sees John's following close behind. And John was the one that was really close to Christ and very loving. And after Peter hears that he's going to die, he says, well, what about John? What about him? He goes, well, what is it to you, Peter, if he stays until I return? And he's saying, Peter, don't worry about anybody else. This is what's going to happen in your life. You're going to die a certain way. And you know what? The tradition says that Peter, the rest of his life, and it's just a tradition. In fact, I, uh, when I was in Israel, I actually got to visit Caiaphas's house. They have the ruins underneath. And then they built a beautiful courtyard. It's not the same courtyard, but it's built on top of the original courtyard. And uh, they have a statue there of a rooster. And Peter sitting under it with a little girl and a serv- another servant next to him. And it's just showing Peter sitting in the courtyard around the fire denying Christ. And the tradition is that Peter never truly forgot it. They said that every morning 
when the rooster would crow, that Peter would, uh, that, that was when he had his prayer time every day and he would just weep because of the memories of the, in fact, the rooster became a very important part of a lot of churches because it symbolized the failures of man and the weakness of man. The strongest have failed Christ and Christ gives them strength to achieve what he's called them to do. And, uh, that courtyard actually has the original cistern where Christ, uh, was imprisoned. And so we went down into that cistern. They allow groups to go in and out, but it's the original cistern where Christ was left overnight, uh, waiting for his trial in the morning. And so that old cistern is there. You can go down in there, read hymns together and just be in the cistern where Jesus was imprisoned overnight. But, um, it's amazing that Christ was able to fulfill in Peter what he couldn't do himself through failure. Because Peter, there would come a time several years later, in fact, immediately after Christ dies and is resurrected, who is the first person that stands up and begins to preach boldly? It's Peter. And who is he preaching to? The same ones that he denied Christ three times in front of earlier. How many know that? He preached in Jerusalem in front of the people that crucified our Lord, and 3,000 people were saved because Christ crushed him and he failed. Had he not failed, he would still be proud Peter who can't do anything for God. But because of failure and because of the wreckage and because of the humility, how many know that Peter's ideal of victory was what? Let's take the fortress. Let's storm the fortress. Let's wipe out the Romans. Let's cut off the ears. Let's set up his kingdom. Let's do all these things. And Christ said that. He said, put the sword away. That's not how we're going to do it. We're going to do it through humility. We're going to be doing it through you actually dying just like me. You're going to walk in my steps. And how many know that Peter, because he walked in the steps of Christ, was in Rome He was in prison, just like he said he was going to accomplish, but he couldn't do it through himself. But when he was in Rome, he was in prison. He and his wife both were imprisoned and ready to die for Christ. He wrote first and second Peter, you know, right on the verge of his execution. And he would walk up and boldly they began to execute Peter at the same time they were executing Paul around the same time. How many know Peter said that I cannot be executed like my Lord? The tradition is that he wanted to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he could be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. He wasn't worthy. And just such a humble person, person who loved God with all of his heart, the guy that finally worked through the failures. You know, sometimes your failures can um, define you. How many know that? Your failures can define you. In fact, I was reading a story about a kid. I just get loud. About a kid who was four years old and wasn't a very bright kid. How many can relate? You guys remember when you were four and you just weren't that bright? You know, This kid wasn't very bright. In fact, he didn't say a word until he was four years old. Then he went to high school and wanted to go to college. 
So he picked himself a college. He wanted to go to that college. He was in high school. He took the entrance exam. And guess what happened? He failed his entrance exams. Just wasn't very good academically, you would say, right? So he worked really hard, studied, decided, you know, I'm going to pass this entrance exam. I'm going to make it into college. And so he finally studied and was able to go to college, went to college and nearly failed out of college. He did finally graduate, but he struggled at almost every subject. In fact, during his studies, it says he was terrible at every subject, but he was pretty good at math. Math was a subject he did well at. And so he barely finishes college. In fact, it says that um, he takes a job in life insurance. Tried to go door to door selling life insurance and just wasn't real good at it. Was kind of a failure at life insurance. Right? His dad dies. His dad says he was pretty worthless. Was very disappointed. And it it really crushed him because his dad thought he was a failure and a loser. How many think this kid's not going to make, not going to do much? Takes the job at the patent office, wasn't particularly good, but he would evaluate patents. It was a pretty good job. I mean, this guy's no, he no Einstein, right? It's actually Einstein. Some of you know the story. He was actually the Einstein. Won a Nobel Prize, you know, a lot of the theories of, you know, the theory of relativity, a lot of the things that we understand with science was because that's considered maybe the most brilliant mind in the last hundred years. And had he been defined by failure, nobody would have ever known that the guy even had a great mind. His own dad thought he was a failure and not that bright. Isn't that interesting? If you'd looked at a kid at four years old and he says his first word, you would say, man, what an unintelligent kid. But you know, failure doesn't define the person. Failure is what you have to go through to succeed in anything in life. And I want to close with this last poem, if our worship team would come up. says, why does God allow us to fail? This poem says, if you never felt pain, then how would you know that God is a healer? If you never went through difficulty, how would you know that I'm a deliverer? If you never had a trial, how would you call yourself an overcomer? If you never felt sadness, how would you know that I'm a comforter? If you never made a mistake, how would you know that I'm a forgiving God? If you never were in trouble, how would you know that I would come to your rescue? If you never were broken, then how would you know that I could make you whole? If you never had a problem, how would you know that I could solve them? If you never had suffering, how would you know what I went through? If you never went through the fire, then how would you become pure? If I gave you all things, how would you appreciate them? And if I never corrected you, how would you know that I love you? 
If you had all the power, then how would you learn to depend on me? And if your life was perfect, then what would you need me for? Pause and consider the final line for a moment. If life was perfect, then what would you need me for? Stand to your feet. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. and Lord, you said in our weakness, you are made perfect. Our failures, every circumstance that we despise and we hate and we say, where is God? Lord, you're actually trying to point us to you through them, Lord. Lord, I just pray that today we're able to examine the wreckage of every failure, every crash, Lord, every burn, every pain, every sorrow, every difficulty, and just see that they all point to a God, Lord. They all point to a time where they will be no more. And they all point to you, Lord. Lord, let us trust you prayer will be fulfilled in every life that our faith will not fail. That's your prayer, Lord. That each person here will have faith and it will not fail. Lord, we'll fail. But that our faith won't fail, Lord. Hallelujah. I just want to ask you this morning. Don't confuse the two. Just because you failed means you're a sinner, that you've fallen short of the glory of God, and you're in good company. And I just want to ask you this morning, just give the failures to God, because that failure is the road to succeeding in every area in life. And how successful you are at failing will determine how you move forward. Hallelujah. This morning as we worship, I just want to, I'm not going to have a raising of hands. I just want you to think about your life. I want you to think about your failures. I want you to think more than anything how great His grace is, how wonderful His love is, how great His mercy is. I want you to see Jesus looking for you in your solitary confinement, the place you put yourself, the isolation from everybody else. And I want you to just be able to visualize Jesus looking to find you. He's calling for you. He's looking for you. He's coming to that place and He's saying, you failed. I knew it would happen. I predicted it would happen. I knew it was going to happen. He said, but after your failure, use that to comfort your brothers and your sisters in the Lord. How many know that God is going to use that failure to make you love other people? He says, love my sheep, love my sheep, love my sheep because you failed and I knew you would fail and I'm restoring you and I died for your failure. God wants you to be successful in your failures. Hallelujah. He wants you to succeed in failures. He wants your weakness to become your strength. In our weakness, He wants us to be strong. So find a place and just give it to the Lord. Lay all your failures down. Lay them down before the Lord and just begin to trust Him. With all of our messes, all of our wreckage, all of our 
things that we're going through, just say, Lord, I'm going to trust you through it all. And guess what's going to happen one day? No more failures. No more broken relationships. No more sickness. No more death. No more trials. No more difficulties. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's celebrate Him this morning. Hallelujah. Find a place to worship. everybody there and it's nearly impossible uh, you can do it but you got to be really good at what you do and the guy that won this last season had a quote and he said um, he, he actually lived in the deep parts of Alaska and had lived semi close to the Ar- what the Arctic would be like and he said here's the problem people overestimate themselves and they underestimate the Arctic. Because you watch that and you say, man, I can do that. But the Arctic doesn't look too bad. And man, am I going to be good at this. I can really handle it there. And then you begin to watch them alone in the middle of the Arctic. And they begin to have this dialogue. And it's like, I just don't know that I can do that. And you, once you begin to see that dialogue, you know they're about to tap out. And so at first it's surviving to win the million. But then at some point they tap out because it's a survival to stay alive. They're losing too much weight. They have frostbite. You know, they're, something's wrong with their heart or their body and they're dying. And now survival is not survival for a million. It's survival to stay alive, which means you have to give up and go home. And can I tell you something? In life, we overestimate ourselves and we underestimate life. Boy, do we need God in life. Boy, do we need each other in life. Boy, do we need forgiveness and mercy and love. Because we underestimate life and we overestimate ourselves. And Peter learned this lesson very valuably. Let's make sure we do. Life is hard. Don't underestimate it. We're going to go through a lot of really difficult times and we're going to need everything this book says we're going to need. God wouldn't have given it to us if we didn't need it. Don't underestimate how hard life is. And don't overestimate yourself. We need Christ in life. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love your people, Lord God. Lord, you said if we love you, to love each other, Lord. 
Those are great, incredible words that we haven't fully grasped, Lord. Help us, Lord, in our weakness. Strengthen us. Make us better for the journey, Lord God. Better people, better Christians, Lord. Better lovers of you, Lord, and lovers of people. Help us, Lord, through this uh, life, this journey, Lord. Strengthen your people through you, Lord, and uh, bless them as they go about their day. In your name we pray, and everybody said, Amen.